last sermon in this series. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this. In fact, I think it's going to be kind of like one of those staple series that we're going to put it on our website in some fashion that anybody who wants to know more about Canoe Creek could jump in there and really go through and weed through. And, and we end with this last value today. But what we've been doing throughout the whole thing is we looked at vision first because vision answers the question, why? Why am I here? Why is the church here? And so vision answers that question. We're here as the church to go out and share Christ with everyone, everywhere, in every way. Uh, we talked about that. You know, mission answers the question, what? You know, what is it that we do? We, well, we get people more connected to communities, connected to God so they can grow, so they can go share Christ, accomplish the vision, the why. How? How are the values? How do we get that done? Well, when you increase your, your observation, your understanding of worship, it's not singing a song on Sunday morning. It's an attitude of lifestyle. You know, when you press into Christian community, when you allow growth to be a part of your life and all those values which are hanging on the wall and this is the last one to go up, will go up so we can see them every Sunday and be reminded. When I press into that value, I can become the instrument that God would desire and design for me to be uh, to accomplish the vision of my church. And so we're excited to do that. We're excited to talk about this last value today. We value people to which we just kind of say, duh. All right. Hey, listen, you know, this is one of those Sundays where after the third song, I could have just got up here and prayed and said, let's go home and be blessed. I mean, it was just a wonderful time of singing together, praising God together. And, you know, the songs just hit the mark perfectly in terms of what we're talking about. But I'm not wired that way. So just sit tight. Okay, we'll get out of here soon enough. Um, but yeah, so it's like, duh. But this is one of those sermons where I'm going to hit more of a theological tone on things and there's not going to be a, a strong practicality to it. I'm going to give you three questions at the end that if you are really willing to de, uh, desire to press into your relationship with God, you can work through those three questions on your own. And I think that it can bring you to a place to better understand this value. Because we could just simply say, hey, people matter. You know, all right, let's go home and, and act like people matter. But I think the reason why sometimes we don't value people is a really important reason that I want to press into this morning. You know, when we say come as you are, we literally mean that, right? Uh, no matter what you look like, no matter what your ethnic background is, no matter what the color of your skin is, no matter what language you speak. Listen, I got a pet peeve. Every time I got to fill out a form or I'm asked a question about this and they say, what race are you? I've just gotten to the point, I just write it in, human race, okay? There's only one race, human race. We're all people, we're all human, all right? We have various differences in how we look and it doesn't matter because we're all created by God. I mean, Acts 17 declares this loudly. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. But it's not just about how we look physically, come as you are. It's also come as you are, no matter what background you have, no matter what spiritual condition you're in, no matter what sinful nature you may have within your your heart, no matter your marital history, no matter whether you have been a good person or a bad person, you know, it could go on and on and on, right? But it is the idea of coming no matter who or where you are and where you're coming from. And this, this could go on with many, many different de details, but what I'm talking about here, and this is an important point, 
for us philosophically as a church. Uh, we are not that seeker-sensitive idea to say, all right, uh, go out, get all your friends, get your family, bring them in. Bring them to the Mecca place, right, where we're gonna, where we're gonna tell them about their life for Christ and everything they need to do, and we're gonna wow them with this and wow them with that. No, our philosophical approach is, as a church, we gather in here, we're reminded, we're encouraged about what God has said to us. And then from here, what do we do? We go out. We go out where we spend 99% of our lives in work, in our social life, in our clubs, in our fields, uh, on ball fields and courts and everything else, wherever it is we are. And we share Jesus there, taking Christ everywhere every, uh, to everyone in every way, right? So this is just about us being reminded, being encouraged of who we are so that we can go out and value the people that we see on a regular basis every day in such a way that we demonstrate Christ to them. That's, that's an important point, kind of like a side sermon, so to speak. I wanna, I wanna explore Psalm 139. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Use the Bible on the right in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, keep that one. Jump in on your phones. If you like using the Bible app, you click those little three tabs down on the right. It'll show you events. Click on events. Turn on your location. It'll show you Canoe Creek Christian Church. All of our sermon notes are in there as well. But jump with me in Psalm 139. Uh, I want to point out that the context of this psalm, whole psalm, is pretty short. Uh, it's about the uncontainable presence of God. It is about the unmovable plan of God, and it is about the inexhaustible power of God. And it's in that context that David is wrestling with his human self. He's wrestling with the idea that he is a person. He's wrestling with the idea of humanity in general in one of the statements. And David feels the weight of God's presence and is demonstrated in this psalm in such a way that he is feeling threatened by that presence and power of God. And, and we're going to talk about that just a little bit. We're going to press into that a little bit. And I'm going to get to what is, I think, the most important point today and how we get to this I mean, a friend of mine reminded me as they walked in, just simply you know, the command of God is to love people as you love yourself. There's the, the key and the hint, right? Uh, let, let's look at this psalm and, and then I'll jump into that a little bit more and bring it out for you. All right, uh, verses 13 and 16 is where we wanna focus. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 16. David, in reflecting on God, says, for you, God, created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days, uh, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is an amazing just unloading of the content of his heart about his humanity and the role of God as it is played out in his humanity as a person and as a child of God, certainly. Uh, David is declaring the sovereign power of God over all creation and he puts the human race within that context as he's declaring the sovereignty and the power of God over everything and so as we look at that, we believe as David believes. That is, God created people, God values people, 
So we have to learn how to understand that and how to value people as well. Where does that begin? Well, as I mentioned, there, there's a really clean and clear key in the statement of the greatest command, love people as you love yourself, right? Uh, well, listen, uniquely created is everyone in this room, all right? First thing, we're uniquely created because you're a part of humanity. Give yourself a hand. You made it, okay? You're on the team. You know what I'm saying? You were designed above all other things with the image of God. Listen, I love my dog. My dog is awesome, but my dog isn't worried about retirement or whether his girl loves him, all right? Uh, just we're different than anything else in creation. So generally, we were created very unique. We're wired to steward what God has created. That means take care of it, be good with it, uh, use it for his glory, bring about his glory as a result of living within it, and so on and so forth, okay? But there's another perspective here on how we're uniquely created. There is the general identity, and there's two things here. The first one is simply, in general identity, we have the opportunity to be a child of God. We see this within scripture. We're excited about this. When somebody recognized God created me, God has saved me through Jesus Christ, and God has empowered me with the presence of his spirit, we are wowed by that. We are just pressed into a relationship with God by that. We realize that I have become a child of something that I never had the ability to become, all because of the grace and love of God. And that's important. And then ultimately, the second one's not so exciting. That is within general identity. Then you have people who are children of wrath. I know that's not popular in our terminology today, but it's just scriptural. It's true. These are people who uh, are excited to use all the things that they see in creation or enjoy all the things that they see in creation, but not give the creator his authority and his due. It's people who just want to live how they want to live, regardless of who God is. And sometimes they're openly objective to him. And sometimes they're just like, well, I'm just a good person. I'm going to go on about my life. But they don't give glory to the one who's created them as uniquely as David pointed out here and empowers them to live the life that they've been given. And then there's a third perspective here on our, the uniqueness of us, and that is our specific created identity. You know, as we look at what the psalm says, God created your innermost being. This is the psyche of who you are. I mean, this is the depth of your true self, your gifts, your loves, your aspirations, and your hopes. I mean, the, the reason you're wired the way that you're wired is because God wired it that way. Now, does that not mean things don't shape us over time? Absolutely, things do shape us over time. Typically, though, they can shape us in a negative fashion or a positive fashion, but let me take it all the way back to the beginning. Listen, I remember watching as my, I got to enjoy my first grandchild, and I, I, I said to my wife, I'm like, the first three months of this boy's, this boy's life, I said, I don't know, something's wrong. This kid's off. Something ain't right. And I was serious. I mean, I was like, this kid looks at me like Chucky, and I'm, I'm nervous about this stuff, you know? And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, four months, he, he starts to come out and we start to see him. He starts to smile and he doesn't look through me. He actually looks at me. I'm like, okay, all right, this is good. It had been a while since I had a three-month-old. You know what I'm saying? I was out of practice probably. I didn't get to see things. But this kid is very stoic and he's very introspective. He's very introverted too. 
but he plays, has a great old time. And then comes along my second grandchild, right? And from a very early age, you're like looking into her eyes and she's looking into your eyes and you're having a conversation. She's smiling. She's extroverted. She's, a, she's fun, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Totally different in those regards. There ain't nothing mom and dad did or nothing that that kid's experienced to put that into them at that moment. They're way too young. God wires us for where we are. He gives us the capacity that no matter where it is, and somewhere in the past, somewhere in the present, somewhere in the future, he has created divine appointments for you. He has created moments in which you will be on assignment for God to do things. It may be in your family, it may be in your community, it may be in your church, it may be in all. To where when you get on the other side of it, you may be like, whoa, I didn't even realize the weight of that moment until I'm on the back end of it now. And how God brought me into an assignment for him. I just had a good friend of mine, my spiritual mentor, remind me of that as I was talking through something in my life with him. And he said, brother, I think right now you are on an assignment for God and reminded me of that. We need to be reminded and encouraged of that because God has wired us the way that he has. But here's the struggle, right? Uh, culturally, we become malformed. We have a distorted view of self. We have a distorted view of the world around us. And it affects how we view other people as well. Listen, we are God created and God defined. But the problem that we have is our culture will try to convince us that we are self-created and therefore we are self-defined. And as a result, we see more and more people developing an identity that is detached from the creator that made them and presses us into all kinds of wrong perspectives about who we are and distorted values about the people around us as well. Identity and culture is being malformed because quite often how identity is being created in culture, and this isn't a new thing, this isn't a middle school thing, this isn't a TikTok thing, this is a human thing going way back. That is, we look in, we look out, then we look up. And this is the wrong direction, right? We look in, what is my heart telling me? What do I desire? What do I want? What do I feel? And then so we, we go after that. And then we look out. We talk to our friends, our groups. So I like that group. I like this person. What is it that I need to do to allow them to shape me so that whatever it is that I desire, they can like that. They can like me. They can value me. And so does she like this? Does he like that? Okay, so now I'm going to shape my life to fit whatever it is that he likes likes or she likes or that group likes and so on and so forth. And then we realize, well, there's this spiritual component in my life. Oh my goodness, I need to do something about that as well. So let me look up and let me take all of that that I've already created back up to God and say, well, here I am now, God, give me some spiritual component in that. And God's saying, you got everything backwards. So I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. I wired you in the way that you are. And as we press into that first and foremost, we can begin to develop an identity that glorifies him. Because the end result, when we look in, look out, then look up, is we get a distorted perspective of who we are. And if we have a distorted perspective of who we are, guess what? We'll have a distorted perspective of who other people are. And because we don't value ourselves as God does, we don't value the people around us either. I want to say this, uh, students are in their student ministry right now, but some are in this room as well. They're in their groups, but some are here. I'll say this both services. It don't just apply to students. It applies to all of us. Uh, some of us have grown 
more mature in age, but we haven't grown more mature in our intellect. We haven't grown more mature in our emotional intelligence. We haven't grown more mature in our spiritual growth as well. So this applies to every single one of us in this room in in a variety of ways, but simply self-hate, self-comparison, and coveting that is desiring something from somebody else or desiring to look like that girl over there or look like that boy over there or whatever it may be, right? Self-hate, self-comparison and coveting. It is not something that we do. I get it. It leads to things that we do, but it's not so much something that we do. It is a proclamation against the truth of God. It is, in a sense, an accusation against God as a result of what we believe because of culture malforming our vision and our view of ourselves and how we value ourselves in terms of God. Self-hate, self-comparison, coveting, it discounts the power of God, it discounts the presence of God, it discounts the authority of God in your life over you as your creator who wired you in exactly the way that he did to glorify him in amazing ways. Let me just simply say it this way. Trying to be a poor version of somebody else will not lead you to the plan that God has made you for. You hear what I'm saying? I don't care if you're in elementary school or you're pressing into your senior years. If we don't have the proper view of who God is and how he values us, we might just be trying to act out a poor version of somebody else, which will never take you in Uh, to the place and the plan that God has appointed for you. Here's what I'm trying to say, and I hope I'm saying it. Knowing who you are and what you are can increase your vision for and your value of other people. Love God as you love yourself. Well, or love other people as you love yourself. Well, if you don't have a good view of self, if you don't understand how God loves you, if you don't understand how you're valued, you will take whatever that value that is poorly formed or distorted upon yourself and you will apply it to other people. And we wonder why our relationships are often jacked up. We wonder why our culture is often jacked up. See, we could get up here and give you a three-pointer, be like, go do this, go do that, go do that, and then you'll love people, Right? But sometimes we got to wrestle with this stuff. And I can't think of one of the values that we have more than any other that it's, it's difficult for us to wrestle with because we have such a distorted view of it, starting with our own personal identity and believing, trusting, being encouraged that, you know, the only one who matters to me is God because he gives me my identity. He says that I am graciously redeemed and transformed and that I am his child. When we get that, out of that overflows the most amazing things we could ever imagine. Out of that overflows everything that is powerful. But here's the paradox, okay? Here's the struggle. To know who you are and what you are requires you to come face to face with God. To know you are created and God has eternal source of power and claim over your life is a threatening thing. It's not an easy thing. This is where it gets interesting. What makes it hard for us to value other people? What is it? Sin. 
Sin in you, sin in them, sin in the world, it's sin. You know, it's the fact that we look at other people sometimes and it's their faults, it's their mistakes, it's their being a bad person in society and all, and we don't like that. We don't tolerate that. I mean, even as much as we'll, you know, unconditionally love animals and tolerate them, right? You bring that dog in, that wet, cute little dog on the street into your house and they look so pathetic and sad and you're just gonna love them, you're gonna care for them. I guarantee you it's right out in the backyard after it chews up your sofa, Right? We all have a threshold. Same thing is true with people. And so we wrestle with that and we struggle with that. To know God is really a source of freedom. And when we know him, when we understand him, it is a source of freedom that lifts and unburdens our souls to see people in a radically different way, starting with guess who? You. Starting with how you see yourself in view of what God says to you about you. It's how you know yourself. It's how you find your true identity. It's how you find your true value in life. But that's only possible when we completely expose ourselves before God. When we empty the content of our heart, when we are honest with who we are. And that is not always the easiest thing to do. Uh, Look at what David says within the Psalm verses 11, 12, which is interesting. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What's he saying? He's saying, man, there are times, there are places, there's opportunities where I just wanna go and have a mountain fall on me and completely cover me to where, God, you can't even see my faults. You can't even see my true nature. You can't even see my my mistakes in the content of my heart sometimes. I wanna go to the darkest place that you could ever imagine so that you can't see it there. And he says, but guess what? There is no place that I can go like that for you, God. There is no place that's so dark you can't see everything. You know me. You knitted me in my mother's womb. You knew every sin that I would ever commit before I ever committed them. That's what he's pressing into here. To be exposed before God is a very threatening reality. So what do we do? We try to cover up. We try to create these false realities, false ideas, and we try to trick God. I mean, Adam and Eve even got some fig leaves, right? And said, oh, here comes God. Let's hide, cover ourselves with fig leaves, and then let's hide from his presence. And he's like, oh, where are you? You know, I mean, like he can't see them, like he can't find them, but this is what we do. We create these games in our own mind, like, I'm, like God doesn't really know what's going on or we justify what's going on or whatever it may be rather than just really emptying the contents of our hearts. And, and we do this in our relationships with people as well. We put on masks and we act like we're this type of person or that type of person, whether it's to hide something or whether it's to fit in. Why? Because we all want to feel valued. We wanna be loved. And we wrestle with that. But, but here's the real difficult point in that. Uh, we, we, we're afraid of people to know the truth about us. And if they know the truth about me, they'll run away. But here's the paradox. The only way I know I can be valued, the only way I know I can really be loved is if I can empty, empty the contents of my heart before you and you still look at me in all my rawness and you say, you are still a person of value. And God does that. But people are a whole different issue, right? If people know the truth about me, if they've got the dirt on me, if they know what's really going on in my heart, they'll use it against me. They'll leverage it. They'll blackmail me. 
Uh, they'll, they'll have the spiritual high ground on me. They'll use it against me. They'll hold it over me. Uh, they'll throw it back in my face at just the right time and just the right argument, so on and so forth. And, and we know this to be a true experience. I guarantee you, there's nobody in this room that in some small part or great part has not realized and experienced some sort of betrayal in that way. You decided I'm gonna open up myself to someone. You carved off a little sliver of your heart and you gave it to them and they used it like a poker chip in a game. And I, you can't tell me that has not shaped how you see yourself and how you see other people. It absolutely does. And the reason why we struggle with this value is because first and foremost, we struggle with how the world sees me. And we need to get away from that and come back to how does God see me? Because when I press into that and when I believe that, it radically changes everything around me. Now, I'm talking in terms of theological. I'm not talking in terms of practical application. If you have somebody that's gonna scourge you, they're gonna whip you, they're gonna hurt you, they're gonna tear you, they're gonna take a sliver of your heart and use it as a poker chip. That doesn't mean that you lay yourself out to be beaten and bruised and hurt, but you can still love them at a distance. That's a second sermon. I just had to say that in there just to make sure that I know some people in the room are thinking, well, what does that mean in terms of practical application? We're radically threatened by the idea of exposing our heart, but we know at the same time, it's the only pathway to really being loved. So we're stuck. How do we get unstuck? We begin to see it lift in the Psalm itself. In verse six, David says, uh, this is too much to bear. In verse seven, uh, where can I go to get away? Verse 11 and 12, consider if even the darkness can be a good hiding place. And then we see a ray of light. We see the gospel start to come through in verse 10. Uh, 139 verse 10 says, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Uh, even there, God will care for me. God will love me. God will value me. And as a result, I can become a person who values other people. Could it be possible that God who has all knowledge and infinite power and who sees every little detail of our life can still reach down with his hand and lovingly value us and guide us? And the Psalm says, absolutely. The gospel says, absolutely. Jesus was devalued. He was even dehumanized for your sake so that you could recognize how much God values you. There's no team at school or athletic group at school or academic group at school. There's no position in work. There's no level of income. There's no relational status. Nothing in this world is going to help you understand and come to terms with how valued you are. There's only one thing that can do that, and that is that you press into your relationship with God and see yourself as he sees you. It's raw, it's gritty, it's difficult, it's threatening at times, but at the end, there's nothing that brings greater joy. There's nothing that brings more fullness in life and being able to live with other people in such a way that you know exactly who you are, whose you are. And as an overflow of that, the people around you are blessed tremendously. Listen, three questions. They'll be on the screen long enough for you to screenshot them if you want. If you're in the Bible app, they're there for you. Use these to move into some sort of practical application as a result of this. First question is, what are you foolishly trying to cover up before God as if he doesn't know? We can fool some people some of the time, right? 
What is it that you just need to wrestle with, get honest about, and be prayerful about? You know, some, one of the ways this could work out in practical application is sometimes we won't even audibly say our sin in a prayer. We won't say, God, I am sorry and sad for, and say it out loud. Why? Because we can't, because we don't want to, because we feel like we're exposing ourselves before God as if he doesn't already know what it is. As we press into that idea and begin to just really expose ourselves before God, kind of walk out of the bushes with the fig leaves off and say, yeah, I'm, here I am. Are, are you ashamed of me now that you know this is me? And then he responds as he said, as David recognizes, I knitted you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you were ever exposed and everything and how you are and who you are. I, I created you. I wired you. You see, there, there's an amazingly positive side to anything that we have taken in our life and made into a negative. It's our psyche, it's our temperament, all those types of things. It's, it's an appointment that God has created and designed us for. We've just got to realize how much he loves us and how much he values us. And that will pull us away like a Band-Aid off of a, a, off of a bloody tear on our skin, right? Not easy, somewhat painful, but pull us in the direction of him to where we press into the positive side of all the things in, in our life that he's created us for but we have to start to get real about that. This one question can maybe press us into that. Here's the second question. What hurt have you experienced because someone saw the real you and they rejected rather than loved you? Now, here's the reality. For some of you right now, immediately, boom, you have a picture in mind, you have sights in mind, you have smells in mind, you have places in mind, you have people in mind. It doesn't take you but half a second to get there. Why? Because there's some sort of level of emotional trauma there and struggle there. And that's shaped. It's, a, it's an event in your life that is so memorable because it is shaping how you view yourself. It is shaping how you view other people. You need to press into that. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know how it is for you. And you may need some professional help to help you unpack that and sort that out. And we know of some good people that we can send you in their direction to help you. And it may be that you just need a good friend where you can empty the contents of my heart and say, man, this is what is going on in my heart. This is what is draining me of my joy. But you need to process that because we all have it. I have a memory that flashes in my mind going back to when I was 12 years old. And it wasn't until I started pressing into that that I started finding freedom and recognizing who God says that I am regardless of who everybody else says that I am, which gives me the freedom to love people in the way that God would love them. Here's the last question. How are you devaluing someone, some group, or people in general because you're waiting for them to not be sinners? Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for you. That while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. I'm just so glad that God doesn't value us the way and sometimes we try to value other people. When you're good, when you do good, when you have something for me that I can get from you, then I'll value you. Then I'll love you. 
then I'll press into my relationship with you. I think that there's three questions that can move us from just a theological discussion on how God views people to how we view them. That can move us to some sort of personal practical application. We'll rely on the Holy Spirit to do that in our lives as we press into that this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to go through what you have impressed upon the hearts of our leadership here at this church in terms of our vision, our mission, and our values. And we pray that they would remind us consistently of where our North Star is and and empower and, and help us envision why we do some of the things that we do. Uh, why philosophically our gatherings are not a sense of, hey, bring in all the, the sinners and let's preach, but actually let's remind the church of who we are and let's go out. And Lord, we pray that through that you would do amazing things. Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can this morning and every morning, and that is move hearts with the presence of your word being preached and move hearts with the presence of your spirit uh, gathered together with your church and each and every one of those who have believed and placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray that we would unload our gifts that you've given to us, that you've wired us for as best that we can, but know that we will always fall short of radical life transformation. So we ask that you would show up and you would do that in ways that only you can. Lord, help us to press into these values, help us to press into our mission, help us to press into our vision as we look forward to the next 15 years that you're preparing and planning for us. And Father, just as we look to the next two months as we close out this year. Uh, Help us to have and celebrate an amazing generosity project. Help us to celebrate the amazing holiday season through Thanksgiving and Christmas as we continue to preach your word, grow, praise your name as we sing together. And we lift all these things up in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.